Greetings in the name of Jesus. The last time that I preached, I spoke from the first few uh, verses of the book of James. The title of that message was When Faith is Tested. And this morning I'd like to kind of do part B of that. And I have changed the title just a little bit to When Faithfulness is Tested. Last time we looked at why God allows trials in our lives. And we looked at how that the word uh, that James uses there for trials and temptation is the same word. Um, but the context of the verses gives, uh, tells us which one it is. And we also looked at you know, how a trial can be one of the many difficult and devastating things that can happen to us as living in part of this sin-cursed world. But a temptation refers to the enticement to do evil. And like I said, James deals with both trials and temptations in this book. And today we want to focus in on that second part and on temptations. So I invite you to turn back to James if you moved away from that, uh, to the first, first chapter of James. And we want to read verses 13 through 16. James 1, 13 through 16. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he, tempt, he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full-grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. What is temptation? I could give you many illustrations from my own life, and many of those would be very embarrassing. I'm going to try to give you one that's fairly safe to share. Nowadays, what's the cool kind of sunglasses to wear? Is it Costa's or Wiley X? I don't know. You tell me. But back when I was a youth, the cool sunglasses to wear was Oakley's. Y'all remember that, some of you older ones? Actually, I think they're still a, a brand today, but you just don't see as many Oakley's. And I was a young guy, and I wanted Oakley's. But the problem was, Oakley's were expensive, and I just, I guess I couldn't afford it, or I wasn't allowed to buy them, or I don't know. But I, I didn't have any Oakley's. Well, when I was sometime in the age of 15 to 16, our youth group went on a bus trip up to Baltimore Inner Harbor. And as we were walking the streets that day, um, this man came up to me. And lo and behold, guess what he was selling? He was selling Oakley sunglasses. And the best thing was they were cheap. I mean, they were affordable. I could actually afford these things. And I think um, somewhere down inside, I was a little suspicious about them, but hey, I wanted these sunglasses. And he convinced me, he, he said they're genuine. You know, he showed me the little insignia on them and um, it looked good. So guess what? I bought them. 
I bought these, these Oakley sunglasses. And I was, I was really proud of myself for the good deal I had got. And uh, thought I was just pretty, pretty, had done a pretty good deal. Until I showed my friends, and then they laughed at me and said I was a sucker. I had bought some fakes. And, you know, this may be kind of a, a lame illustration of a temptation, but I think it does illustrate some things that I want to bring out in looking at temptation. So what is temptation? The dictionary defines temptation as the desire to have or do something, especially something wrong. Another definition is to entice or to allure to do something often regarded as unwise, wrong, or immoral. What is temptation? Well, unfortunately, I don't think we need a definition from the dictionary to define it because we know what it's like in real life. We've experienced temptation, and we know what it is. And I think that we as Christians, we need to recognize that even as Christians, we have wrong desires within us. Daryl touched on some of this in his opening. We have wrong desires within us, and that there are times that we can be tempted. We can be tempted in many different ways. We can be tempted to lie, to worry, to slander, to compromise the truth, to hoard, to hate, to glorify ourselves, to indulge in sexual sins, to look at things we shouldn't, to say unkind or hurtful words, to think impure thoughts, to fantasize, to covet. The list could go on and on and on. So many areas that we can be tempted. And we may wonder, well, where does this come from? Where do these temptations come from? And the one thing we learn here in this passage here is very clear. It does not come from God. God is not the source of temptation. When we are tempted, um, we cannot say we are tempted by God because God cannot be tempted by evil, neither does he tempt anyone. God is holy, and God has no propensity to sin at all. In fact, he hates sin, and he hates evil. And God would never entice us to do evil. So where does temptation come from? Well, when we think of temptation, I think our minds often think of the devil. That's kind of where our minds go to. And the Bible does speak of Satan as being the tempter. When we think back to the very beginning of the book, it was Satan in the form of a serpent that came to Eve and tempted him, tempted her and Adam. It was Satan in the garden or in the wilderness that came to Jesus and tempted him. And also in, in the New Testament, Paul refers to um, Satan several times as being the tempter. And I think that we would be mistaken if we did not recognize that Satan is the source of all evil. He is at the bottom of it. He is at the root. And Satan is a destroyer, and here's nothing he would long to do more than to destroy your and my lives. And he would love to drag us down to hell with him. He hates holiness. 
and he hates to see a Christian living in victory. And I believe he'll use any method he can to trip us up. So yes, it certainly is true that Satan is the enemy of our souls and that he is a source of temptation. But I'd like to look at this passage and consider the process of sin or the process of temptation. And one of the things that we find here is that we ourselves actually play a large role in this area of temptation. There's four things that we want to consider in this, from this passage. One, it is conceived in the heart. Number two, it is considered in the mind. Number three, it is carried out in the body. And fourth, it concludes in death. Let's look at the first one. It is conceived in the heart. It says uh, in verse 14, But each one is tempted when he is drawn away of his own desires. It is our own carnal desires that lure us away. And the illustrations James is using here is of one a fishing illustration and of a bait or a lure being thrown out. And, you know, the bait and the lure is going to always be out there. We're going to never get away from that. Satan is never going to quit throwing out bait. We might as well settle that in our minds. But it is our hunger for the bait that's the variable. We see something and we want it. It catches our eye and we desire it. And this is a little unnerving because when we're tempted, we like to think that the devil's just out there trying to drag us down. But you know, it's fascinating to know that Satan is actually not mentioned in this passage at all. We do not see Satan in this passage. But what we do see is our own selfishness and our own carnality responds to the bait. And that is the problem. It says here, and it's very clear, we are drawn away of our own sinful desires and enticed. So we are responsible for the sins that we commit because we create the temptation out of our own desire, our own wicked hearts. And I think the thing we need to recognize here is that, we, that, is that the sin is conceived in our heart when our carnal desires or our lust responds to the bait. You know, if I had not been lusting after a pair of Oakleys, I would have just said, get out of here. I would, have, I would not have responded to that man because I, would have, I wouldn't have even cared, right? But you see, there was something in my heart that wanted those Oakleys. And so I was a sitting duck for the bait, or I was a fish sitting there and took the bait, I should say. Matthew Poole, Poole is a commentary. He said, Lust hath a greater hand in it than either the devil or his instruments, who cannot make us sin without ourselves. So yes, Satan is the master at throwing out the right bait at the right time. But the thing that's going to have to change for us to be able to face temptations is for the desires of our heart to change. That's what's going to have to happen. 
for, a, for there to be a change. Satan's going to keep throwing out the bait. It's going to always be there till the end of time. But what has to change is our hearts and our desires. We need to allow God to cleanse us from our evil desires and replace them with pure ones that honor him. Second thing I'd like to pull out from this passage is that it is considered in the mind. And this is the process, the part of the process where it says we are enticed. And the Greek word there for entice means to delude or to allure or to beguile. And it has the idea of being deceived. When we are tempted by a wrong desire, it moves from our hearts or our longings up to our head. And it's up there in our head that we start to rationalize it. Why I should get this thing or why I should do this thing. And our minds can become really adept at making all kinds of excuses for ourselves. For me, with the sunglasses, I think I knew that it, I was suspicious, but your mind can start figuring out why it's a good deal or why you should go ahead and do it. But Satan, but our, our minds can, can make up so many excuses for why we should go ahead and sin. This will make me happy. I don't have a choice in this. I deserve this. I need this. It doesn't matter this time. I can do this and nobody will find out. You see how our minds start to rationalize and justify why it would be okay for us to give in to temptation. But we're really only buying into the lie that Satan tricked Eve with back in the garden. She said, he said to her, you can sin and you won't surely die. But that's a lie. When we allow our minds to rationalize why we should go ahead and sin, we are, we are being enticed. The third thing is that it is carried out in the body. When we allow our minds to justify it, why it'd be okay to give in to temptation, it is only a matter of time and before it gets carried out. We go ahead and say the words, we do the deed, we buy the fake sunglasses, we do whatever. We, it comes out. Somehow it manifests itself in one form or another. And James here in this passage gives a very wor vivid word picture of a child being born. He says, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And the thing that was growing inside of us comes out. Something is born, it comes out into the open. And in this case, it's a very unwanted child. It's the child called sin. And that child called sin is very difficult to deal with. And it always brings with it the baggage of shame and guilt. Fourth thing we see in this is that it concludes in death. When sin when the child of sin or the child called sin is allowed to grow and to flourish and to go unchecked in our lives, it grows up and it produces an even more unwanted product, product called death. And I'm not sure what all that means here by death, 
I believe it means spiritual death for one. Maybe it could mean death of our relationship with God or with others. Definitely it means eternal death. If sin is left unrestrained and unchecked and unrepented in our lives, it will bring eternal death. As Paul reminds us in Romans, the wages of sin is death. In any case, the product of sin produces a very unwanted product, and that's the sin of death. If we would end the message here, I think we would all just go home kind of discouraged and little, feeling a little down. But that is in no way my desire for this message. And I want to leave us with a message of hope and encouragement. But what do we do with temptation? And how do we keep from becoming a slave to our desires and to end up giving in and indulging in sin? There's a couple things that I think we need to think about in dealing with temptation. And the first thing, as we look at this passage here, we see that this process of sin or this process of temptation, it starts inward and moves outward. It starts in the heart and moves outward. And if, if sin is conceived in our hearts and we recognize it, we need to repent of it right then. We need to catch it at the earliest stages. And if that sin is conceived in our heart and it moves up to our head and we start to ra- rationalize it and we recognize it, we need to repent of it. At that point, we need to cut short the process as soon as possible. And if that sin is conceived in our heart and it goes to our head and we rationalize it and we do it, we need to repent of it before it grows up and becomes death in our lives. You see, we need to cut short the process as soon as possible so that the outcome of sin does not happen. Sin that is left unrepented of and repeated will be strengthened and eventually lead us to death. It is much better to recognize sin when it's internal than it is to let it come to fruition and then deal with the consequences. Because not only at that point are you dealing with your relationship with God, but you're also dealing with the outworkings with those around you that you've sinned against. Second thing that I want to us, or I feel like we need to all remember is that there is always, I want to repeat, always a way of escape. There is always a way that we can face temptation without sinning. Very familiar verse, you probably could quote it from memory, is 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you except as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but will with the temptation make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So whenever we face a temptation... I want you to think of it like this. It's like we come to a wall, and on that wall, there's two doors. 
One says on the, on the door, it says, God's way of escape. And on the other door is Satan's way of defeat. Okay? Two doors. You're coming up to this wall. You have to decide which door you're going to take. There is always going to be a door that's God's way of escape. God never will allow us to be tempted without providing that door. Sometimes we don't want the door. Sometimes we try to block it off. But it is always there. The door of escape is always there. We need to recognize our responsibility in choosing the right door when we are tempted. Before I bring this message to a close, I would like to briefly consider, well, what do we do if we have failed, if we have given in to temptation? Because we have all faced that at times, where we have given in to temptation and we have failed. And that, this could probably be a whole sermon in itself, but I do want to affirm that God has provided a way for us to be forgiven when we have sinned. God has provided a path for us to be brought back. Forgiveness of sins can be ours when we repent of our sins and turn back to Him, turn our faces back to Him. The Bible assures us that Jesus' work on the cross was to, was to uh, for the sins of the whole world, and that includes your sins and that includes mine. Praise the Lord for the cleansing power of Jesus cleansing blood of Jesus. None of us, none of us could be here today and have a clear conscience without that cleansing blood of Jesus. Praise the Lord for that. Also, I think an important part of when we have failed or, or when sin has given birth or when it's become an external thing, that it is appropriate, though, that we should confess it to the appropriate people. And I know this may take some discernment to know who the appropriate people are. But one thing we need to remember is that the strength of sin is in its secrecy. And if we cannot confess it to the appropriate people, that sin will continue to have a stronghold in our lives. So yes, this feels, may feel shameful and it may be very humbling, but I believe but it also can be very healing to us. James 5.16 says, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So in conclusion, I believe that a large part of learning to grow as a Christian is learning how to deal well with temptation. So we need to examine our hearts and our desires, and we need to recognize the lies of the enemy and we need to repent when we have failed I think it's in doing that we will learn to better deal with the temptations that we know are going to come our way we know temptation will continue to come our way but how we respond to it can change I have no hope that Satan will quit trying to trip us up and throw out the bait but I do hope that we can learn to more effectively see the bait, see the temptation for what it is, and learn to avoid its pitfalls. I'd like to leave you this morning with words of a hymn that I heard this week. 
And it's just been playing and playing through my head. Very familiar hymn, but powerful. I need thee every hour, most gracious Lord. No tender voice like thine can peace afford. I need thee every hour, stay thou nearby. Temptations lose their power when thou art nigh. I need thee every hour, in joy or pain. Come quickly and abide, or life is vain. I need thee every hour, teach me thy will, and thy rich promises in me fulfill. I need thee every hour, most holy one, O make me thine indeed, thou blessed Son. I need thee, oh, I need thee, every hour I need thee. O bless me now, my Savior, I come to thee. Lord bless you.